It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Drops the throw, steps up, floats a bomb up the right seam, looking for Anderson. He's got it. They're not going to catch him. He's going to go the distance. Touchdown. Sam Darnold dials it up to Robbie Anderson. 92 yards. Bell into the middle of that line, and it's a touchdown. Big return for Crowder, 85 yards. Pass thrown. There was contact with the quarterback, and it's incomplete. They got pressure on Prescott. It was Adams who came blitzing in. He'll hit immediately when he got the handoff. You know that's <laughs> the Q-inator. Oh, my gosh. Listen, thank you. From the TOJ Digital Studios, this is Play Like a Jet Off-Season Roundtable Edition. And next up on the roundtable is a return guest, one of my favorite people to talk to about a variety of topics. Football, wrestling, whatever it is, we always have a blast talking about it today. We're going to talk about the Jets, what went down in 2019, but more importantly, what they should do in 2020 here on this roundtable. And that, of course... It's Mr. John Grella, who is the president and founder of JAG Public Relations. John, welcome back to the show, buddy. Hey, Scott. How you doing? I'm doing all right, man. I'll tell you, I was just saying before we started recording that it is way warmer than I was expecting at this time of the year in New York, which means we're probably going to get about 12 straight days of blizzards. Right. Right. And well, in Washington, D.C., as I look out my window, uh, there's a little bit of snow on the ground, which usually brings the, the uh, nation's capital to its knees. I was going to say, I remember from my time living in the area that as soon as there's even an inch of snow, everybody freaks out and the city pretty much shuts down. That's right. Uh, it's, it, it's remarkable that nobody's taking care to uh, erase that reputation. Uh, I don't know how many plows have been purchased in, in the last uh, 20 years that I've lived here, but it's, it's remarkable how one or two inches really, uh, really ruins everybody's day. And not only does government get closed, but uh, schools are closed, and you could have work, but your kids are off from school, all, all that mess. A few inches can make all the difference when it comes to snow in D.C., and a few inches can make all the difference in a football game, too. If a football goes one inch to the left, one inch to the right, a kick goes one inch to the left, one inch to the right, can make the difference between a first down, between a gain of five and a loss of five, or, of course, it can make the difference between a win and a loss, and we've seen plenty of that over the years with the New York Jets, especially when Mark Sanchez was here and he was getting a lot of those last-second heroic comeback victories. There weren't a lot of those this year in 2019, but there were some close victories. The Jets ended up finishing 7-9, and nine, and that was after starting the season 1-7. and seven. So there's been some split reactions as to what that really means going forward. Let's start with the head coach, Adam Gase. What did you think after his first year? Great to start with that one without any warm-up. I might, I might pull a hammy from uh, <laughs> coming in hot on this one. I am not a fan of letting go of coaches after just one season. Um, something really crazy would have to happen, and it would have to be obvious that the locker room was lost uh, or the, the coach was inept. Uh, I've been on the record for a while now saying it's not my expectation that Gase is the guy long-term. Uh, but I do think he's earned um, earned the right to to serve a second year. This all comes back to when I when I when I evaluate whether coaches um, should stay or go, and and who cares about my opinion? Maybe maybe you and I do. Um, but 
I look at expectations from the beginning of the year, and this team looked like a seven, eight, nine win team. Lo and behold, um, there's a, and that's because of a, a pretty favorable second half of the season schedule wise. That turned out to be the case. We also conversely um, were socked with a lot of injuries. Um, so seven and nine to me feels like that was uh, that was right about on target, right about what we should expect. Uh, and and I don't I don't think it was underperforming expectations if you consider uh, all of the injuries that, uh, and it really was not even slightly inconvenient. Uh, it was it was league leading uh, and and by by a number of metrics the the Jets um, had more than their share um, and certainly at some very key positions. So um, I think uh, I think Ace gets another go of it and uh, and we'll hope for hope for more. I think we've also seen Scott too. There are a lot of coaches who who started off very nicely, uh, who ha- who then go on to fizzle out or fade. Um, Jets have had a number of them, uh, so have some other teams. So we don't know who these coaches are oftentimes after one year or even two sometimes. Uh, it, there, there, there are several examples of coaches that have revealed themselves to be uh, much better um, after a second job. Uh, there have been other coaches that have revealed themselves to be maybe not as good as they were built, uh, and and that reveals itself over time, just like players. So uh, seven and nine, I'll say, was not it was not underperforming. Um, it'll be uh, it'll be tough next year with the schedule. Won't won't likely be as as favorable a schedule. At least on paper, it looks like it's going to be harder. Um, more West Coast trips and whatnot. Um, but but uh, Gase is going to have to show us something next year. What do you think about the argument that Adam Gase showed all of the same mistakes and all of the same stubborn tendencies that he showed in Miami? And so you have to judge him differently than you would a first-year head coach because this is now the fourth year of him doing the same things. That's that's fair to factor that in. It's it's I wouldn't say that it's inadmissible, um, but other things happen in Miami too, right? Tannehill was hurt a lot, um, and and of course the Tannehill argument is another one where you can go both ways on that and say what you know is he thriving now because of Arthur Smith? Is he thriving now because he's not with Adam Gase? Is he thriving now because he's finally healthy? Um, it's it's fair to to evaluate. Adam Gase on his Miami tenure plus his Jets tenure uh, and look at it holistically. Um, I, 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 I get the sense that, that there probably is some, uh, some truth to uh, what, what the detractors are saying. Um, but it, the question is um, every, with every coach having flaws, uh, are his fatal flaws or not? Are they things we can live with or not? Um, and, and, and I, I continue to believe that, that he's going to have his chance um, in New York to, to reveal himself, uh, whether, it's, whether it's more of the same or, or something different. There have been other coaches, Coughlin and Belichick, of course, and many others, not to compare our guy to, to them, um, who, who took a little time before they became great. Uh, and and plenty of others who've gone in the other direction. So uh, so we'll see. Um, uh, uh, one thing that I would say uh, I was worried with with Gase's reputation coming in that he was um, not exactly a people person. Uh, was and 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 that that really concerned me. Uh, so the fact that the team finished strong, 
I thought um, was a good sign uh, that the team didn't quit on him. And I know a lot of Gase detractors want to um, give 100% of that credit to Greg Williams. Uh, but Adam Gase is the head coach of the team, so um, I'm going to give him some credit for that. The team didn't fold. Um, I've been in situations where the, where teams have, and and it didn't feel like that. So um, I was I was pleasantly surprised and impressed that they finished the the strong way they did. Should mention for those who haven't heard you on the show before that in addition to being the head of your own firm, JAG Public Relations, that you worked as the head of communications for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers for three years. So that's what you're talking about in terms of being in situations where teams have quit on coaches. And because of your background in comms, I thought it'd be interesting to pick your brain on this in terms of Gase as far as we talked about Jamal Adams already and that whole mess, and we did a whole podcast on that. And if you haven't listened to it, go back into the archives and check it out. But Jamal Adams, Quincy Inunua, Kelvin Beecham, Kelechi Assimile, Luke Falk, Le'Veon Bell to a lesser extent, a lot of players have made both very clear and open and cryptic comments about Adam Gase and the coaching staff. Does that concern you in terms of him potentially not being a quote-unquote people person? Yeah, it sure sure concerns me. Uh, that becomes real problematic when the rubber meets the road and, and it translates onto the field. So if, if players stop playing for the guy, then we've got a huge problem and it'll it'll make itself pretty clear and apparent. Um, but as it stands, uh, grousing and grumbling happen. Um, you hope that that happens behind the scenes and not, not over social media and and with leading questions from reporters, but, but that's the day and age we live in where players now have a, a venue to express themselves um, on social media at any time. And then certainly, uh, and certainly when, when there is blood in the water, um, there's, um, there is an all too willing media, um, daring, trapping, inviting, uh, you use the verb you want, uh, to, uh, get players to, to, um, take a shot at the regime. Let's switch gears now and talk about Sam Darnold because, That's a player that Adam Gase is going to be tied to here. A lot of the rationale for bringing him in as the head coach was for him to work with Sam Darnold. What do you think of Darnold's performance in 2019? Is he where you hoped he'd be? Is he where you thought he would be? Do you think he's made enough strides yet? Where are you on this? Okay, so I I begin with the fact that that Sam Darnold should have played his final bowl game a couple of weeks ago. Um, So we're still talking about a 22-year-old. It is way too early um, uh, to, to judge his career. There have been, and, and this sounds, this sounds repetitive to what I was saying about coaches, right? There are folks who, who were all in on, on Robert Griffin, the third and Mitchell Trubisky and a lot of, a lot of uh, flashes in the pan. Uh, who knows what the, what the long-term uh, is for Lamar Jackson uh, or even Josh or Josh Rosen or, or Baker Mayfield. Um, there's uh, Sam, did well last year, did well this year, and I wouldn't say was was very blessed with talent even on paper before um, body started falling. Uh, but considering it, uh, the supporting cast he had around him, particularly the the O line that was decimated by injury and there was no continuity and 
um, in front of him. Uh, I, I think he performed admirably. Um, so I am pleased. I remain optimistic, and I, I still think he's going to be uh, a top 10 uh, quarterback in the league. Do you think it's a matter of just not having the right talent around him if they build the offensive line, if they maybe give him an extra playmaker or two? Do you think that would help push him above and beyond in addition to an extra year? Because as you said, he is still very young and he would have played his final bowl game if he had stuck it out for four years in college. Do you think that it's a combination of maturity and the pieces around him? Yeah, I, I, first of all, I think that from by all reports, uh, page six notwithstanding, uh, the kid's makeup is supposed to be great, um, handles himself very, very well. The work ethic is not in question. The aptitude is not in question. The arm talent is not in question. Uh, it, it seems like all the fundamentals are in place. Uh, if we're being honest about this roster, uh, and I'm looking at my own uh, my own uh, butcher board on the wall of of the roster and and uh, and and potential draft picks up there too. Um, so uh, I, you you look at these names and and this this is not we didn't start with above average talent uh, vis-a-vis the rest of the NFL. And then those injuries came and in a big way. So, so uh, what was he supposed to do? Uh, I, I really don't know. I don't know what more you could have asked from Sam as a 22 year old with that revolving door um, offensive line and a lack of weapons. And, and, and sure. I understand what folks are, are saying about bell, whether that's scheme or, um, or that he's, uh, he's not the player he used to be. Um, there isn't a lot of talent around uh, and, and certainly is not top half of the league talent to surround Sam Darnold. So when you go into seasons, with your best offensive player, say for Le'Veon Bell, uh, being a 22-year-old unproven quarterback, you can't expect very, very much. Um, and, and I know that the Lamar Jacksons and, and Patrick Mahomes is, uh, of the world um, can can uh, make people like us all the more impatient. Um, but we'll see over time. This is this is not a sprint. Uh, we will see over time what uh, who has the career um, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's legendary and, and who doesn't. And, and perhaps it's none of them and perhaps it's multiple of them. What do you think of Joe Douglas? Cause he's going to be the one that's tasked with putting those pieces around Sam Darnold to try and help get the most out of him. Are you confident that Douglas is the right guy for the job? I have no reason to believe he's not the right guy for the job. First of all, he loves the four horsemen, which I think is fabulous. <laughs> uh, secondly, I love his haircut. Um, but his pedigree is obviously very strong. I listen closely to um, certain league experts um, and, and you know, the Pat Kerwins of the world and, and, and folks on Sirius XM, and you can tell who they like and don't like. And, and, you know, when, when they're trying to be courteous and, and, and gentle on somebody, you can read between the lines. I will say when it came to Joe Douglas, the, the, the praise for him was pretty effusive across the board. Um, so, uh, that reputation matters. Is it everything? No. A lot of times a, a, um, an executive or a coach or a player um, enjoys a strong media reputation because they're big leakers, <laughs> but or they're or they're fun to party with. Um, but in this uh, in this case, um, I have no reason to believe that Joe Douglas is not the guy. But I'd, I'd like to see a couple of drafts out of him before I judge further. 
So now that we know what you think of Joe Douglas, who do you think the Jets should target externally? We'll get to internally afterwards, but when you look at the list of guys that are available and even specific positions, what do you think they should target and who do you think they should target? Not only am I a, a fan of of giving players, coaches, and executives a little bit of time and having a plan, sticking with the plan and not hitting the reset button uh, every year like the Cleveland Browns or, or some other franchises do. Um, I, I am a, um ardent advocate for bringing in as much talent under 28 as you could possibly bring in. So I, I want to see uh, what this team and many other teams before um, the last time the Jets had a run, that team was, was built with a bunch of young players, a young nucleus that all matured together and grew up together. And I want to see them stick together um, for a long time. So that's why I'm not a fan. You know, you'll see me react on Twitter and, and um, shouting at the television whenever I hear anybody connect the Jets to uh, a player who's well north of 30, um, who's not going to be there when the Jets contend. What about internally? We know the big names are Robbie Anderson, Brian Poole, and Jordan Jenkins. Are those guys you'd like back? Are there any other guys that you'd like to keep? Any guys you'd like to get rid of? It's a question of, of, of price, uh, and, and certainly it, I wouldn't be surprised if Robbie departed. Um, I, could see, I could see him uh, seeking greener pastures, and I could see there being a market for him at the right price, um, not as a number one receiver. Uh, Robbie, I'd love to have back. Um, he seems to have a good thing going with Sam, and, and, um, and it's, it's, nice to, it's nice that we were able to find a diamond in the rough and, and develop him a bit. So, um, sure, I'd like to have him back. Jordan Jenkins, for me, is a, is a must, um, and, and I, I sure hope we can re- retain him. Um, but this is a business, as we know. Uh, and, um, and, and, and really what I, what I want to see out of this offseason uh, more than anything else is, number one, three starting offensive linemen under 28 – so draft a couple, grab a couple in free agency. The more you do in free agency, the less you have to do in the draft. Um, and let's get some young offensive linemen in the door. Let's get um, a, a receiver, if not a couple of receivers in there, especially if Robbie departs, uh, and, and give Sam a chance. Uh, and and then, then I'll begin to feel like we're, we're building something nice. Uh, and then, of course, the cornerback is, a, is always an area of need. We had some nice patchwork um, help toward the end of the season, but you can't count on that um, working out long-term. If Greg Williams really does the most with what he has, um, that's great, but that doesn't mean you, you don't draft uh, corners um, because, of course, we, we um, always need them. So um, let's go O-line, young O-linemen, wide receivers, and, and quarterbacks on the defensive side of the ball, and I'll, I'll feel pretty good about things. Play like a Jet. Play like a Jet. Last question, John, ownership. Do you think that that's going to be a major impediment? I know that a lot of people feel that it has been so far, especially over the last decade when the Jets have had losing records and a lot of bad seasons. We've seen a lot of turmoil in a lot of different ways. Do you think that with this ownership it's possible to turn things around, or do you think that with the Johnsons owning the team it's going to be something along the lines of what you've seen where you live in D.C. with Daniel Snyder where almost anything they do is just going to end up being the wrong decision? Yeah, I, I wouldn't put them in the same class as, as, as Snyder or even Haslam. Uh, you know, it could always be worse. Um I will say this too about about the about Christopher in particular. 
these are new owners. Um, and I, I work with some newish owners who were just taking the reins, um, from their father and, and, and you, you get used to that job over time and you become an owner. I'm, I mean, heck George Steinbrenner, um, was, was disliked through, through much of the eighties, uh, if I recall correctly. And then in the nineties, he became, uh, he became a, a folk hero. Um, it takes time to become a good owner and, and let's hope, um, that the owners, uh, continue to be generous the way they are, continue to be, um, engaged the way they are, but not so engaged that they're, that they're meddling with, with too much. And, and certainly, um, Dallas, I'm looking at you and, and if there are situations where, where owners are, are disengaged, um, not not willing to open the wallet or overly involved. And, and I think we've got a situation where our owners are not going to keep us from winning. And, and that's, um, that doesn't necessarily make this, this group, um, you know, top three owners, right? Like there are those iconic owners in the league. Um, and, and time will tell, um, uh, are the early signs pointing in that direction? Probably not, but, but is, is their ownership, preventing this team from winning long-term, I don't think that they're going to be the issue. If this team um, does not thrive, it's not going to be because of them, in my view. He's the president of JAG Public Relations, also former three-year head of communications for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, one of my favorite people to talk to, especially about the Jets, but also about pro wrestling. We were just talking before we started recording about this new series on Viceland that neither one of us has seen that takes a look at different wrestling promotions across the globe. So, John, I'm looking forward to having a conversation with you off the air after we both watch that. John Grella, thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. I'm glad that I was able to have you on again so we could talk about this, but also so that I could remind you that you got to come back to the New York area so we can grab a slice of pizza one of these days, man. I, I'm I'm looking forward to doing a, a pizza review with you at some point soon. I also want in the future for in my introduction to be uh, that I'm a former Jets ball boy, uh, mm. which is which is how I got this sickness uh, to begin with. So <laughs> the 1990 season, the the rookie campaign of Blair Thomas, mm-hmm. uh, Bruce Costler took the rel- uh, took the helm, and um, Pete Carroll and uh, Pat Kerwin and a lot of other folks were there too. Ron Wolf. Um, uh, it was a, it was a fun summer. Um, uh, but, uh, um, I was a jet before I was anything else. Hot take Blair Thomas. Wasn't that bad. <laughs> I will say, um, uh, with regard to Blair, he was a little bit of a holdout. Right. And, and so we came to camp late and so I didn't know him all that well, but, um, he, he somehow pop kept on popping up in my life. Um, I don't know if it's like a bad penny or, or Forrest Gump or whatever, but, but I'm I'm at a TGI Fridays with a bunch of um, high school friends. One more in college, and he's at the bar, and he and he asked me if I'd buy him a drink. And I'm thinking, like, who's the millionaire between the two of us? And then and then lo and behold, a couple of years later, I'm at college at Villanova, and I see him at bars there. He didn't go to Villanova; he went to Penn State. Again, asked me to buy him a drink. That's that's how a player um, re- preserves wealth over the long term by, by buying, <laughs> getting drinks bought by their former ball boys. 
a good trick that you should 100% employ if you were an ex-NFL player who doesn't have the kind of money that today's ex-NFL players have. Make sure that when you run into somebody that was a ball boy for you, that you say, hey, remember that time when you were my ball boy? Now buy me a drink. I guess it's worth a shot. Why not? (laughs) John, thanks so much for coming on, brother. Really appreciate it. Why don't you go ahead and let everybody know how they can get a hold of you if they want some really good advice in terms of PR because you are the best, brother. Oh, thanks, man. Um, my website's jag.ninja, uh, and Jag Public Affairs is uh, is out there on Twitter, um, so you could find me there, either uh, at Jonathan Grella or at Jag Pub Affairs on Twitter. Uh, so thank you for the opportunity for the plug, Scott. Appreciate it. My pleasure, good sir. I always say, if anybody needs PR, John Grella's the guy. So if you do need PR, make sure that you go and visit John's website and hit him up on Twitter. By the way, if you missed any of the podcasts that we dropped over the last couple of days, you want to check them out. They're awesome. I know they might have gotten lost in the shuffle because of all the Super Bowl stuff going on, but we had two awesome mailbag episodes with Chris Nimbley over the weekend. And then yesterday, we unveiled part three of the Sam Darnold project. We took a look at games seven through nine of the 2018 season. So the seventh through ninth starts of of Darnold's career. Remember, we're going to go through all 26 games because Michael Nania looked at all 26 starts every single play and gave each game a grade. We talked about his criteria for the grades. We explained it in detail. It's very transparent. He's got a chart with colors and everything, and it's much, much better than PFF. Although what we do is we take his grade and we compare it to what PFF gave Donald for each game and we explain that away too. So it's a lot of fun doing this series with Michael and we are going to have part four next week. But if you missed part three, make sure that you check it out right now. Also, Manish Mehta of the New York Daily News will be back on the podcast tomorrow to go through part four of our long form look back at the Rex Ryan era. The first three parts were really cool. A lot of never-before-told stories, including last week when we found out which member of the New York Jets once referred to Tom Brady as the most overrated player in the NFL. I bet you 10 years later he regrets saying that, or at the very least realizes that he's wrong, or at least I hope he does. If you missed any of the first three parts of the series, make sure you check it out. Part four will drop tomorrow. Also wanted to remind you that if you haven't had a chance to give us or Joe Caparoso's Turn on the Jets podcast a five-star review, if you could do that for us, we'd really appreciate it. It's an easy way to help out the show if you like what we do. It doesn't cost you any money. It doesn't take you much time, but it's a huge help to us. So if you could do that for us, we'd be grateful. And it allows us to continue to give you the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcast. And for that, you know where to go. It's Turn on the Jets Digital and TurnOnTheJets.com.